Welcome to episode 36 of On Air, the Ohio Hockey Digest podcast. Today we're going to take a little different approach to the start of our show. On January 10th of 2021, the high school hockey community, the hockey community, family and friends, lost a dear friend, a dear coach, and a wonderful person. Jamie Ruffner, the head coach of the Bowling Green Bobcats, passed away at the young age of 49 years old. Jamie left behind a wife, three daughters, and many friends, teammates, coaches, and players. Today, we're going to honor Jamie with replaying the interview that we did with him in week 18. Jay, I just, it's so hard when we got the news a month ago about Jamie being sick um, and then hearing uh, just this weekend of his passing. We had the good opportunity of getting to know Jamie uh, over the last two years um, through this wonderful game of hockey that we continually, (laughs) you know, excuse my loss of words, but that we continually grow to meet people and, and, and grow to uh, like and love people. And Jamie just was doing it for the right reason every day. Uh, you know, we had an opportunity to speak with him over Thanksgiving, and, and he he then got sick after – well, he was diagnosed after that. Um, and it's just – it's it's so surreal to be having this conversation right now. Yeah, it's uh, – the news wasn't easy to take. You know, we had gotten to know Jamie over the course of the years, and, and uh, you can hear it in the interview, like you said – uh, just his zest for life, for hockey, for the kids, for his family. Um, he had one of his players on, and he, he not only spoke highly about the player that was on the interview with him, but he spoke highly about all the players that he's ever coached, going back to the youth days and, and wanting to be a part of the, the Bowling Green hockey community and, and, and doing so and, and becoming a, a large part and representative of the high school and you know, we got to see him at Thanksgiving and, you know, a lot of the times Jamie and I like to talk to each other cause we're the same height <laughs> and that, that's hard to see in, in this day and age of hockey, but you know, he just was, it's sad because you know, we're, we're, we're not going to get to be around a good person. And that's what Jamie was and is and was, and, and that's what he tried to get across. And, and a lot of the stuff that was on the interview that, that, you know, we, we record this live and, and, when we're done, we get a chance to talk to guys and, and basically off the record or, or not on air, if you will. And, and just that conversation, I think that lasted 45 minutes. And I think the interview was an hour long and we were just shooting the breeze and, and talking about experiences and talking about having to go through this, this COVID pandemic together and, you know, what, what moves he was making and, and what he was seeing and, and just, you know, a, a, a guy so full of life and a, a guy that, that cared so much about a silly sport. I mean, it's, it's, it's still not easy to talk about him now. No, it's not. And, and, you know, I, I took, you know, I took a lot of, of, of that interview with him and, and I, I, truth be told, I went back and listened to it. Uh, uh, when, not even when I heard he got, when, when he passed away, but when, when I heard he got sick, um, and a, a really, really close uh, friend of mine who I went to college with, his son plays uh, on Bowling Green. And, and he was kind of keeping me abreast of the situation on what's going on. And, and you know, his, his passion 
for Bowling Green hockey. You know, he was a graduate of BG. His his passion to get to uh, over 20 years of coaching in the BG youth organization. And then the team goes on pause. The, the, the team doesn't feel that Bowling Green doesn't field a team for a year, which everyone was shocked about. But then they entrust Jamie Ruffner in rebooting this iconic program. And I mean, what an honor. I mean, you, when, when he spoke about that, he, he was so proud about that. And, and we talked about his, his plans in the youth program and what, what he, he's got so many kids on these travel teams and, and there were so many things that he was implementing in this. And, and I, I just, I, I, I sometimes sit back and think how hard people work and they don't get to see the fruits of their labor uh, because of, of, you know, a, a, a disease that we can't figure it out. And, and, and there's, I mean, there's people on the zoom right now that have, have dealt with this disease in their families and just don't understand it. Right. And I just, I don't know, man, I, I'm, I'm, I'm speechless at some points when I think about a 49 year old guy who has done everything right. And, and yep. gets, and gets dealt that, you know, you, you people on our, on our, on our podcast that are li- listening, I, it doesn't matter. I don't really care what your religious beliefs are, your faith beliefs are. It doesn't bother me, but I was once told that that the higher people, the higher person, whether you believe in, in Jesus, it doesn't matter, will give you and your family what he knows you can handle. But sometimes, I'm sorry, it's not fair. Not at it's all. not fair. And in this case, Jamie Ruffner, we lost somebody way too early who did too much for too many kids and too many uh, families. I mean, the, 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 one of the photos released uh, announcing his passing and you see him with his wife and Addison, his daughter, Reese and Wynn, and he's got his BG hat on and he's got that goofy ass smile on his face. And I say, I say it lightheartedly because that's what I have to do. But you see that look on his face and you know, you have these, these family members that have to go through this and, it's hard enough for us who lose somebody that we respect and, and we see doing all these good things. What about them? Yeah. They lost dad. So young and, and, and all that. And, and, <laughs> you know, my heart goes out to the family first and foremost. You know, I, I do believe that you're, you're not going to give, you're not going to be given more than you can handle. And, and, Unfortunately, that's going to be tested. Um, you know, the saying of, you know, love those around you now while they're here because you don't know what tomorrow brings. And you want to talk about a true statement. There it is. Right. And I, I know he's he, I, I don't know the pain he was in. I don't know the suffering he had to go through. I know from the time we were notified to the time we were notified of his passing, that was quick. And so I, I only hope that they, they found solace in each other. And they were able to, uh, I guess, weather the storm, for lack of better terminology. And I hope he's, you know, obviously now he's he's at peace and he's pain-free, wherever that may be. And, and I hope in knowing what a good person he is, 
good person that he was and all the lives that he touched that his family can find some comfort in that. And I, and I, I know in, in reading uh, throughout Twitter and, and other persons that we've talked to that the, the outpouring of support for Jamie and for the community and for especially his family has been fantastic to see. And, and I only hope that it continues because the family's going to need a lot of strength and a lot of support. I mean, hell, I know I would. And, and, you know, yeah, no, I, I agree, Jay. And, and, you know, when I, when I had to text you, uh, the fact that, you know, when I got the text that he passed and I texted you that, and, you know, you and I talked a little bit that day, it, it it's, you know, <laughs> it's so funny because I can guarantee you a, a lot of people in the, in the state right now and, and probably further than the state. Cause I mean, he played hockey at Oce- ocean community college in, in New Jersey. So a lot of people, uh, you know, we're shocked when they heard that, but, but yeah. just to, just to give our listeners an idea of his mantra and his, his culture and his goal in life, he took this job, which he didn't have a kid. He didn't have, I mean, he just took this job because it was BG Bobcat hockey and he loved it so much. And, and I'm going to quote his statement. My goal in coaching is to help players become responsible adults who care and give back to their communities. Over the years, I would hope that several of my players become coaches. Yep. There's him. I mean, that's him. That's that's doing a job. And and by the way, if anyone's listening to this, a high school hockey coach puts in an, an exorbitant amount of hours for zero pay, by the way, because that's what we care about. Yep. You know, and, 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 you know, so I, I just want to say this and, and again, there's, there's, this isn't soliciting anybody because this isn't what J- Jamie's about, about soliciting for money or any of that stuff. But I do want to make mention that there was a, a memorial contribution in Jamie's honor. And if anyone wants to gift uh, anything, it, they, they wanted, they wanted to go to BG uh, high school, Bobcat hockey uh, alumni club, uh, BG blue liners. Uh, or to the family to help set up a college fund for his daughters. So uh, I'm encouraging any of our listeners, and and I, I will say this week in and week out, it's just not tonight. I will encourage any of uh, our listeners to to do that. I mean, and again, I, I appreciate the fact that, that B, uh, BG High School Hockey uh, needs to go. But I also, I mean, a father of two daughters, you know, I, I just think, you know, that this, this college fund for their daughters would be great. They lost their father too early. Um, there is a GoFundMe page. Uh, you can find the GoFundMe page at the top of the OhioHockeyDigest.com. Uh, that's going to help out the family uh, in the immediate right now. Um, so, again, this is a different start to tonight's podcast, but it's an appropriate start because this is somebody that we really respect. Uh, we really uh, became to be friends with and when we heard uh the sad news a month ago and then we heard the sad news uh just this past weekend uh it deserves to be honored he deserves to be honored and uh so uh jay you know i know it's a different start but uh jamie was a solid guy and still is a solid guy and and prayers and, and thoughts are with his family uh and the bg hockey community yeah I mean, uh, like I said, it, it, it hasn't been easy to discuss this and talk about him, and he would hate it. He's a very humble man, 
I mean, I know when, when we had the interview and we kept asking him questions about the storied history of Bowling Green hockey and how that's going to help. And I mean, he said, it's not, it is, but it's not, we don't want to, we don't want to look away from it. We're not shying away from our history, but we have to write our own chapter. And Jamie Ruffner's written a hell of a book um, with all of his time in, in coaching and all of, all of the, the, the people that he's touched through, through his, I guess, pedestrian life and his coaching life. And I mean, hell, he, 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 uh, he left, he, he left an impression on me and we weren't friends for 20 years. Yeah. And so to Jamie, rest easy, be good. And we'll see you soon, friend. And I just want to say, if you're out there and your team happens to be playing against a Bowling Green team or they're in the same arena, I understand COVID. I get it. Put a mask on, put double masks on, but make sure one of those kids understands that you care about them because they're going through a hard time right now. Yep, well said. We're taping this episode uh, Wednesday night. It's the opening night of the National Hockey League. It was great having Jeff Soboda on the podcast last week to talk all the things of Blue Jackets. He really had his work cut out for him, trying to keep up with all the changes in the seasons, like schedules, roster rules, COVID protocols. It really makes it tough to predict what is going to happen this year, but it was great talking to Jeff, and it really drove home the point that pro hockey is actually back. Or, not for Dallas, (laughs) but we are taping this show Wednesday night, as I said earlier, management and the first games of the season are going on as we speak okay opening night 116 days straight of hockey holy is that what they, that what they said yeah they said uh, for anyone for for it was a, it was a meme or whatever somebody put out that it said uh for those that need to hear this there's going to be 116 days of nhl hockey straight like i mean think about it the the teams are geographically aligned now so you're seeing teams five, six, seven, possibly eight times in a year. I mean, it's going to be it, it, it. Ready out of the gate on your market set. Let's go. And unfortunately Dallas has to start a little later than the rest. And, you know, I was reading the, the wire today and there were some, uh, there's there some guys unfit to play uh, per the protocols. And, but man, it, it's exciting to have hockey back. It's exciting to try to get all 56 games in and hopefully they're able to do that. And let's get back to somewhat normalcy. Absolutely. I didn't realize it was 116 straight. Yeah. So what does that take us to, Dan? Dan, producer? I mean, that should take us right to regular playoff time. No, but like what, month, what, like what month? 116 days. So it's round that up to 120. That's four months from now. What is it now? January. I don't even know. I don't even know. So, so April, April, May. So it'll be normal time. Mm-hmm. And then are they going to do playoffs normally? They're going to run regular playoffs. Um, and then start the they're, season again they're, straight. They're and then hope start is the to season start normal in October. And, 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 and yeah, on a regularly scheduled time. Wow. Okay. No, I mean, well, that's... They, well they, they, they talked about having this be like a three, four year delay, right? Remember that? Right. Yeah, I think there's something called bottom line that they have to get back to normal faster. The dollar. Wow. I mean, look, Batman spoke the other day about how they're looking at a loss and 
you know, this, that, and the other. Well, the players, from what I've heard and read, the players are on the hook for 50% of this. So the players are helping the ownership or helping ownership with the losses they're going to incur. So both sides are doing what they have to do to make this happen. It's not just the owners gutting up. The players are on the hook for 50% of this too. And that, I mean, I give them credit. I was, like I said, I spoke to a guy today that I, I've heard a rumor that the, uh, what the American hockey league is going to play 30 games. Now I get it. Then the next question, what does that do to their pay? Guys in the American league aren't making millions of dollars oh, and they're looking at getting their, their salaries cut in half. You're on an entry level deal. You're still getting, and don't get me wrong. They're making money, but you're still cutting a guy's salary in half. So these pro guys are getting their salaries cut too. And that my understanding is going toward helping ownership with revenue loss and things like that. So these guys are banded together. They had to, they had to agree to all this to make this happen. You know, you know, it's crazy. And, and, and I know a lot, I mean, a lot of people are more uh, analytical than I am. Right. But I, I never, I ab- absolutely never put all of this together when it comes to a pro sport until COVID hit, like all of that. Right. I mean, we're running, and let's call it what it is. It's a sport to us, but it is a business, dude. Oh, God, yeah. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, how, how – when you're in the business of making money. You don't put butts in the stands in the arenas. You're losing money. You're losing right. on every aspect of the game. I mean, you still have to pay these players. They're working. This is a job. I mean, they, they get to be kids for their job. It's great. Right. For anybody, for anybody to say that they're just playing a game, no, not at that level, not at a pro hockey level. They are, but it's a business, and they have to feed families and, and take care of themselves too, just like ownership does. So the tightrope they had to walk, I mean, what did the NHL lose? About a billion dollars, billion plus with the bubble? Right. Now you're, now you're going to let them travel. So now your budget increases because you're not just going to one town or one city to hub to play. You're going to everybody, and you know. Fortunately, geographically, you know, Columbus is going, you know, right up to, to Detroit, or they're going down, or wherever, you know, whatever Chicago, which isn't far. And so, they made it easier from that standpoint, from a travel budget point of view. I wonder how many, you know, an Anaheim, L.A., San Jose, are they going to just bus? Maybe not. I mean, I can't imagine putting million dollar athletes on a on a bus, but you know logistically, if that's what they have to do, that's what they have to do just to make this work. I, I you know, I, I said earlier that uh, it was possible. Actually, yeah, it was earlier that it was possible that, you know, they're going to lose X amount of millions of dollars doing this. And some guys thought it'd be easier to shut it down. If you cancel the season, what would that do? It's kind of like a lockout. It's going right. to hurt your fan base, which is going to hurt your revenue. Right. So absolutely. Absolutely. Well, it was good talking to Jeff. And then our second guest uh, last week was longtime friend of ours, uh, Chris Kogan, the head coach of Rocky River. Um, and it, it was, it was. I, I got to be honest with you. I, I appreciate Chris's candidness about talking how to be a, a coach at the high school level at a high level here in the state of Ohio, at the same time being a father, and then. Uh, obviously his run in the 2013 state tournament. So, uh, you, you know, it, it's, it's always good to catch up with Chris uh, and in the same situation, 
it's always good to catch up with Chris when he's healthy. So we're doing all this stuff in a pandemic. Chris is going through a lot in this pandemic, let alone getting COVID. And as he said, and that run into his family, um, always good to talk to Chris. He's always full of life. He, he's always got something smart to say. He, he, he threw a couple of jabs in there. It was nice to hear him get those two jabs. And in fact, when I listened to it, I could hear you go, that's twice. Yeah. Cause we heard him throwing the, the PSP jabs in there, which is great. Uh, great guy again, doing it for the right reasons, doing it, doing it well, always running a, a top notch uh, program year in and year out. And just a good guy. I mean, obviously we're friends with him and, and he's a longtime friend of the show. Um, finally got him on. So now we got a lot to hold over his head. He's buying the nachos. Oh, absolutely. And he had some great insights on what it's like to coach your own son or daughter and how hard that may be. Yeah, I did. I did find it interesting. And, and as you said, very candid when he spoke about uh, Christopher going down, uh, looking like his leg was in two pieces. I mean, there he was going to lose not only a player, but his son had to go through that. And, and he had to turn away because he almost lost it. And that's just, you know, these coaches that do these jobs, I don't want to call them thankless because the look in the players' faces when they succeed or, or just accomplish something is is awesome. It's it's worth its weight in gold. And and what they do on a day in and day out basis for someone else's kids, let alone your own, because Chris does a heck of a job of separating. But what what these yeah, coaches it's, have to but do? It's, 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 it, listen, what I appreciate about Chris Kogan is Chris Kogan knows how to separate coach from dad. You don't get a lot of people that know how to do that. No. Jay, you and I know a lot of people that can't separate coach and dad. It, it, it's it's even dad and dad. I mean, you watch some of the – and, you know, we, we have kids. I get it. I understand it. I don't have to like how it's done, but I get it. You know, it, you have to separate whether you're coaching or not because you have to worry about one. Coach has to worry about 20, 20 plus. And it's not personal and it's hard. It's hard, man, because you're trying to deal with 20 20 plus personalities and 20 plus emotions and on a daily basis and, and, and gel that into one unit and you got life things involved and you got, you know, personal things involved and it's not easy. No, Chris has always has run that gamut. He's walked that tightrope. He's had a lot of support, you know, his assistant, Greg Duncan and, and his other coaches on staff. I mean, his brothers on staff and some others and, and they do a heck of a job just helping each other out, deal with this stuff. And I don't say deal with it like it's a problem, but to go through all this stuff and some of it's very hard and you have to make hard decisions and, and you have to have, you have 14 to 18 year olds in mind in these decisions. And it's a lot to walk through. And, and Chris does a heck of a job with that as do all the other coaches out there, hands down. Yeah, Chris has done a great job of separating the two, and, and, and we can absolutely appreciate that. It's been a tough week uh, for a lot of coaches here in the state, but we still have to see what's going on in the news. So let's see what's happening in the Digest. This episode of the Ohio Hockey Digest on-air podcast is brought to you by Team Ohio. Time in the rink as a Team Ohio player is about more than competition. It's about seizing opportunities to grow as athletes, being a great teammate, and part of, a, of the community. That's why Team Ohio's premier Tier 2 hockey program welcomes youth players ages 5 to 18 years old 
to join the nationally lauded program with reasonable fees, transparency, and athlete development that has prepped players for teams at all levels. Team Ohio is here to coach players for success both on and off the ice. Go to TeamOhio.com to learn more. Toledo Walleye officials cited COVID-19 attendance restrictions as the driving force behind a decision to suspend operation for the 2020-2021 season after originally planning to start play in February. The Walleye's financial stability is dependent upon attendance and the generosity of the local sponsors. After much discussion, we have decided to turn our focus to a safe, healthy, and successful 2021-2022 season, team president and CEO Joe Napoli told the Toledo Blade Mark Monroe. 12 of the 26 East Coast Hockey League franchises have gone dark for the season, including the Cincinnati Cyclones. That was too bad to hear that, that news. Um, you know, I, Dan Watson's a good friend of the, uh, the podcast and a good friend of ours. And, you know, I know I feel bad for him and some of those players. And, um, you know, uh, I appreciate the fact that they're trying to stay safe and it's all about the financials. Uh, but, uh, you know, I know those guys really wanted to get back on the ice. I mean, it was even said that some of the uh, owners in the Board of Governors meeting in the NHL would have rather gone dark for the year, too. From a financial standpoint, I mean, not to keep bringing up financials, but from a financial standpoint, it probably does make more sense. I mean, they're, they're, they're set to lose. Was I reading yesterday that Bettman uh, thinks they're going to lose into the millions, the billions and true, probably with everything. So, they have to I, cover. I guess my question though is, is won't TV rating go up higher now? And it won't the, the revenue from the TV. I mean, or is that a locked in deal already? Um, I, the, the last I saw about any sort of TV revenue was last year. And they had said that the problem is they're already spending for next year. So they're already in, my understanding was they were already into the budget for this upcoming year. So 56 games, I think they're from all standpoints, they're trying to get a full season in so that next year can be starting normal. And two, uh, that'll probably cover what they have money for TV wise and you name it they're they're I think they're just trying to, they have a lot of balls up in the air and they're juggling. Right. Trying to make it happen. But that, that is a shame, especially for East coast league. Cause a lot of those uh, fans, that's, that's the main ticket in town in a lot of those towns. So that's unfortunate for the fans and let alone the players who, you know, ultimately need a place to play and they need to get paid too. Right. The Youngstown Phantoms head coach Brad Patterson is now the franchise's all-time leader in wins with 127. Patterson passed Anthony Noreen to set the mark with Sunday's 4-1 win over the Dubuque Fighting Saints at the Cavelli Center. Patterson's overall record stands at 127, 93, 17-9. The NHL finally gets the season underway this week, and the Dallas Stars have already had to cancel their first three games after 17 players tested positive for COVID. The league only built one extra week into the schedule to make up games. And with 10 additional positive tests around the league, things are not starting off with the best start. And if anyone ever questions what the NHL did for the playoffs in the bubble, this right here proves that what they did was absolutely the right thing. You can't yeah. bubble the whole season. I get it, right? You can't do that. But yeah. here we are week one. We haven't even started. I mean, we're, we're taping tonight on Wednesday. We start tonight, and we've already got teams that are canceling games. Well, I, I was talking to a friend of ours and his uh, his nephew, 
uh, plays in the American Hockey League. And during, well, this was recent. So during camp, uh, our, our, our buddy uh, lives with three other guys and they're all supposed to be making the NHL camp. And three of them and their significant others went to dinner with an outside couple. And the outside couple's wife tested positive. So now all three of those guys cannot be on the opening day roster for their pro team. I mean, it's that easy. It's going to end up coming down to basically you're going to have to bubble yourselves. And when you go on the road, you can't go out to dinner because you it can't be trusted. And it's unfortunate the times we're living in, but that's what has to happen. The OHSA announced that with the closure of Kent State University's ice arena, the Kent and Brooklyn district brackets will be played out of the Brooklyn Rec Center this year. What kind of uh, logistical challenges do you think that's going to pose? Um, I don't think it's going to impose anything because that's how it used to be. Yeah, that's true. I mean, the rink said they could do it, and they have the time and space to do it. Now, here's where it's going to get tricky. Where it's going to get tricky is you have to clear the rink, you have to sanitize the rink, and then bring the next two teams in. And you can't start a game past, what, 8.30 or Something 8, like 8 o'clock because of the curfew. So logistically, it'll be fine for the teams. But restriction-wise – and, and, and conforming to the protocol, that might be a little different story. And I guess you'd call that logistics as well. I don't know. I mean, you're going to end up having to start games at stinking near 10 a.m. Probably earlier, I would imagine. Just to get everything in. I mean, right now, right now they start them on Saturday just in the Brooklyn district. They start them at, at 12. Yeah, that's true. So you're going to probably have to start them at 8 o'clock in the morning. Well, what is it? One, one, of the, one of the days is always an off day. I thought Brooklyn's was always a Friday night. There's no Friday was, games. I thought it was Friday, yes. Okay, so and Kent's was, I think, a different day. I thought they played on Friday. Maybe it was Thursday you're, off, whatever right. it was. Yeah, you're right. They do play on Friday. So I, I think they're going to try to keep it somewhat the same and just use it every day, though. Yeah, so there would be basically no off day. So right. the Kent district, whatever it is. Anyway, logistically, like you said, it was done before. I do remember that. More on the OHSAA postseason. The Columbus Blue Jackets are scheduled to play a home game at Nationwide Arena March 13th. That date happens to be the date set aside for the state semifinals. No comment. Yep, exactly. If you don't, if you can't accommodate, don't no. do it. I'm not even going to. I'm not even going to talk about it. Who should talk about it? Are the four coaches of the teams that make it there? I think our entire league needs to talk about no, it. No, I understand, but I don't want to talk about as, it right as now. As a whole, on Ohio, we need to talk about this because it's baloney. It's balagna, if you will, the treatment. But that's another day. Is it fried baloney? Jay, you like yeah. fried baloney. I love fried baloney. Little little mayonnaise on it. Throw in a pickle. We got ourselves <laughs> a deal. It's called a lunch date. <laughs> it's called a lunch date. That's Put what a- we do. That's what we do. Yeah. Put a pickle on there. Six teams of the Ohio's top high school hockey teams will spend Saturday and Sunday at Brooklyn Recreation competing in the Father Style Showcase hosted by St. Ignatius High School. All six of the teams were ranked in the top 10 in this week's coaches poll. Number one, St. Edward High School. Number three, Gilmore Academy. Number four, host St. Ignatius. And number eight, Upper Arlington are joined by St. Charles and University School, which are tied for 10. It promises to be an exciting two days at the rink with an opportunity to shake things up at the top of the pole. Amherst Steel is the top seed for the Southwest Conference Tournament being contested this weekend at North Olmsted Recreation Center. The Comets and Avon will both receive first-round buys. 
Avon Lake, North Olmsted, Olmsted Falls, and Westlake are the other teams competing for the title. It's time to get on air with our first guest, Rob Sankster. This episode of the Ohio Hockey Digest On Air podcast is brought to you by Team Ohio. Time in the rink as Team Ohio player is more than competition. It's about seizing opportunities to grow as athletes, being a great teammate, and part of a community. Go to TeamOhio.com to learn more. Please welcome our next guest, Rob Sankster. Rob played in the Ontario Hockey League for the Kitchener Rangers and the Ottawa 67s in an era where you had to be able to chuck knuckles to survive. He got pretty good at it, actually, and that came in handy when he moved on to the pro hockey after getting drafted by the Vancouver Canucks. In just 53 games in the East Coast Hockey League, Sankster piled up an astounding 489 penalty minutes, including 158 in a 15-game stint with the Columbus Chill. Now as a coach, Sankster is in his eighth season behind the bench of the St. Charles Cardinals, a top 10 team in the Ohio Coaches Poll. Please welcome to On Air Podcast, Rob Sankster. Welcome, Coach. Hey, how, how are you today? Doing great. And yourself? Doing great. Well, hey, thanks for coming on and, and, and joining us. And, and we surely want to talk uh, to you about uh, your role with St. Charles and uh, your eight years there and how they're doing, how you're getting through the COVID-19 uh, situation. But let's kind of go back and, and let our listeners learn a little bit about who you are. Uh, you grew up in Kitchener, Ontario. What was it like having the chance to play for the Kitchener Rangers in the Ontario Hockey League of your hometown? That was um, that, that was actually my goal from the time I was a, a little kid. Uh, we used to go down to uh, the auditorium. It's called the Odd. It's, a, it's an old rink in Kitchener with a lot of history. And we would be watching uh, Al McGinnis, Paul Reinhardt, um, Paul Coffey, uh, you know, and there were some, you know, Brian Bellows, but there was also a lot of really great players that, you know, never had big pro careers, but were, were tremendous uh, junior players. You know, Russ Adams, um, Mike Moore, a lot of guys never heard that name, but he racked up monstrous minutes back when, when he was a fighter in the OHL. Actually, I think a lot of, I yeah. think a lot of guys know, uh, uh, I think Brian Bellows got YouTube famous here for a minute. Uh, in in one of uh, the YouTubes, am I right, Lev? Yeah, I believe it was uh, against when he was in uh, Minnesota with the North Stars, and and they were playing the Penguins. And I I can't remember who was chirping him the best. The most from the bench. Trache? I think it was Trache. Yeah, from the bench, he really let him have it. Oh yeah. Yeah, he. Uh, yeah, I I think he was uh, uh, kind of it's baiting a, baiting for a call, and and Trache sort of let him have it. It's a family show, Jay. Oh. It's a family show. Yeah, it's a family show, Coach. We can't really get into what was actually said. <laughs> yeah, Brian Bells was the captain of the Kitchener Rangers when he was 16 years old. Oh, and, wow. you know, that was – there was a lot of good players came out of of that era, you know. Absolutely. For, well, for some of our younger listeners that might ha- might not have an appreciation for what Major Junior was like uh, back in, in those days, intimidation and fighting were a routine and accepted part of the game back then, uh, weren't they? Uh, yeah, yeah. As a matter of fact, it was, um, you know, it, it was a little, it was a little bit different in terms of, um, you know, guys playing with, with respect and, and, you know, it was even back then used to actually, when the two guys agreed to fight, you used to take your, your helmets off and, and meet at center ice. It wasn't like one guy just grabbing you, tying you up and, 
and you know trying to punch you a couple times real quick you know it was right it was a fair fight and it was you know it there's nothing like that anymore they outlawed it uh just after i think i left junior but that's that's how it was because you can only have two fights a game your third one you're gone but if you fought guys regularly with their helmets on your hands would be so destroyed that i mean they were already destroyed you know you're always playing with like broken or dislocated or whatever jam thumb was a big one that was it was real tough to play with a, a jam thumb which once you had it it was pretty much there with you for the season so sometimes it hurt more to punch a guy than to get yeah. punched but um you know you'd have two and then your third one you're tossed for that game so it was do you, you know do you're, you think... you're held accountable to answer your question and and yep. You didn't have quite as much of the, the cheap shot stuff going on because, you know, if you do stuff like that, you got to fight your own battles, you know. Do you think that's something that's missing today? The, the, almost, um, a, almost a respect and accountability is what I mean. You know, you see guys going through the middle and getting just cleaned. And, and I know that they have rules in place for that. But do you think that if there was more of a true enforcer in the game today – that a lot of that cheap stuff wouldn't be there. I don't. I don't think there's any question. There, it would be a lot less. But times change and society changes, right? So, yeah, yeah. What was acceptable twenty? I mean, you just couldn't do like the stuff that was regular occurrence. You'd have you just couldn't get a get away with anymore. You know, it was. Uh, I mean, there. You know, it was pretty reg. I'm not. You know, not every. 10 games or so, but you know, it was pretty regular to have bench clear and brawls. And that was before. So it wasn't until there was so many of those that they started making the refs come out for warm up. Yeah. Cause warm up was warm up was really a lot of intimidation going on there. And, you know, a lot of it, even before the game ever even started, you know, guys would be, you know, telling you <laughs> they're coming for you, you know? Yeah. So, so coach real quick for our listeners, that might not know, and they might be thinking, holy crap, refs weren't even out on the ice. What what years are we talking about here? So give our li- listeners some geographic uh, idea. So 1987, 1988, 1989 was when I played in the OHL. And it wasn't until, I think, way either the end of 88 or the beginning of 89, they started um, putting refs on the ice. You know, I mean, and it was – you know, you, you could really be getting tuned up when there's nobody out there to help you. you know? Right, <laughs> right, right. Well, I, 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 hear, I, hear, I hear you laughing there, and I could only – like, I mean, we're going to ask you uh, as we end this, uh, the last question, uh, so you can think of it during the whole interview, but we're going to ask you for one of your top uh, instances or memories of playing – uh, when there's no refs on the ice. So just think about that. We want to get through the interview, but okay. that's coming. That's coming. Do, do, you, okay. do, do you think a lot of the current state of things is because these guys, you know, there, there, there isn't as much fighting in a game. And I understand that, that the game has changed. They want it faster. It's lightning fast now. But do you think also it's changed because there, there isn't the true rivalry anymore? You know, where, where you'd be in, in a warm-up jawing at each other 
And there was, there was, I don't want to say true hatred, but it, one, yes, it's a job. I get it. And you have to protect the skill guys and that, but these guys grow up playing with and against each other since the time they're, they're in, you know, in minor hockey. So is there really any true rivalry? Is that possibly what has helped or, or hindered the role of a true enforcer anymore? I, you know, I think actually, I think when you look at uh, junior and, and high school and, and stuff like that, I think you get rivalries. I think where you lose the rivalry factor is a little bit more once you get into pros because guys keep on moving around for salaries. Uh, yeah. You know, but I think a lot of the the rivalry and stuff is already there before you got there. You know what I mean? It's just yep. like, what are you going to do to represent while you're there, you know? Yeah. Um, it, and particularly um, – you know, I think so. Long answer short, I think is maybe in uh, juniors and high school and stuff like that. You definitely got rivalries more so than you you do in pro. Although you do, I mean, you obviously have historical rivalries in pro, but um, you know what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. A- absolutely. Yeah. So uh, when you played for the Rangers uh, and the uh, for the uh, Kitchen Rangers and the Ottawa Sixty Sevens. Who were some of the toughest customers you ran across uh, during your time there? Well, I'll tell you, um, some of the toughest guys I actually I played with, you know, um, and there was just, you know, I mean, overall, there was just a lot of really, really tough guys that um, that played in the OHL. And, you know, on, on any given night, I mean – you know, if you've been in a bunch of fights in the previous few games and, you know, you might have a pulled shoulder, you might have, you know what I mean? Like something seriously wrong with you and you're going out and you got to fight, you know, on any given day, I mean, you can get, you're not, I mean, you got guys that want to take your head off and, you know, they're not playing around. Um, you know, so it's a, but, you know, I, there's a guy on, you know, just some guys that I played with were like, Kirk Tomlinson, Shane Stevenson, um, you know, there were some guys that didn't fight as often as I did that were really, really tough guys. Um, Kevin Grant, these are guys that were all on the Rangers. Um, 67s, Greg Walters, John East. I mean, even Ryan Kubera could fight, and he was a big, big point guy. Um, so uh, facing guys, I used to fight a guy from Windsor two times a game, every single game, except for when I had a fight with somebody else. His name was Jim Revenberg. And uh, Jim's a great guy. We both got drafted to Vancouver. And, but Jim was, I mean, he's not a name that a lot of people knew about, but he fought everybody all the time. And that's, you know, a big difference, too, with some guys is, you know, it's, it's easy to, like, pick your spots, you know, like you grab a guy, you, you know, you like I said, you know, all you got to do is throw your gloves off and grab his, his throwing arm and you can just about beat anybody, you know, if you're, but that's kind of, that's kind of uh, lowbrow, you know, you don't, um, not, not really the, you'll get it later, you know, like that's sure. not how you behave. Right. Um, sure. but, um, Ty Domi, um, Dennis Yow, I mean, Ty Domi, he was a, he, he was, he was super, super strong. Um, so you, and, you, would, I mean, you, you, you went at it with Ty Domi? 
Yeah, a um, bunch of times. Um, Dennis Vial um, was he was a he was a uh, you know and that brings me to a guy I played with, Chris Simon. I mean, he was a big lefty. Louis DeBrusque, um, Brian March, but a lot of guys on like London, like their whole team was was really Donnie Martin uh, was a guy from London. He was really tough. Um, so how do you feel seeing Chris Louis DeBrusque? I played with in Ottawa. What's how that? Do you, how do you how do you feel seeing Louis DeBrusque on TV now, knowing uh, knowing his background? You know what? I, I'm uh, I'm happy for him. I think it's great. Um, yeah. Nice to see his boys doing really well. You know, like all these guys are really great guys off the ice. You know, you could do whatever on the ice, but you know, off the ice, they're real, real good, good human beings and and good guys. You know. Oh, absolutely. Different. Absolutely. On so ice you, and off ice, you know. So you. I, I just have yeah. a quick question. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you get you go and play three years with the Rangers, and then you go to Ottawa 67s. Did you have yeah, to fight so any? Still, did you have to fight anybody from the Rangers the next year that you were good buddies with? Uh, no, no, no. I didn't. Uh, I didn't fight anybody in in Kitchener. It was actually never even really close to me. Uh, I mean, I would have, <laughs> you know, but it, it just didn't. Uh, the opportunities didn't present themselves. Let's just say. Yeah. Plus, we won the game. Right they knew so. they knew what was coming if they did anyway. They did know. <laughs> that's that's so you, great, Rob. Yeah. That's great. That's great. That's great. So you got to spend part of your overage season playing for legendary Brian Claria with the 67s yeah. after he acquired yeah. you in the trade. Uh, I guess you were his kind of player. Do you have any stories about Killer you can share? Yeah. Uh, you know, we uh, – so let's just say we got into some trouble as a as a team, okay. and uh, he skated us for for two hours and uh, two hours straight bag skate, and said if you if you left the ice or you you couldn't finish the bag skate, you're off the team. Um, <laughs> and and he was really pissed, but it kind of, I kind of laughed when. You know, guys act like they're about to die after a, a, a little 10-minute skate, you know. Yep. And uh, they wouldn't have believed it. But you know what I mean? It was it was real. It actually happened, and it was two hours. Um, wow. But, you know, I mean, it wouldn't probably be something that you could even get away with today. Right. And, and, for, and, and I want to I make sure our listeners understand this, Rob. The, the, this, this coach that we're talking about, he – Brian Killarly, he, he coached – the 67s from 1974 to 2009. That is, that is insane. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't have it right up in front of me, but I believe he's got the most wins in, in junior hockey history. I, I would, I would imagine, I would imagine, but just the, just the fact, and, and I don't know, you, you can answer this better than I can, but just the fact that, you are able to stay at the highest junior level in Canada and be the coach at the same team for that long. I mean, that's, that's amazing. Yeah, it is. It is. And it's, it's big in Canada too. Right. So they, they, he's, he's a popular guy, you know, it's uh, they, they draw a lot of fans and, you know, have a lot of interaction with the community. Um, 
you know, junior junior hockey in Canada is a big part of, uh, you know, um, your identity when you grow up, you know, like it's your hometown team and, you know, you love it. You go there with your friends. It's, it's kind of part of, you know, like Friday night, we always went to the Ranger game. You know, it's just like what you did, you know. Right, right, right. So, so Rob, yeah. you, you, you were drafted by the Vancouver Canucks uh, after scoring 10 goals, however, leading the OHL in penalty minutes. So there obviously was expectations of your style of play. So my question is, was it hard for you to show what you could do in practicing and scrimmaging against your own teammates? Um, you know, it, uh, not really because, I mean, the first year I tried out for the team, everybody wanted to kill me. So it was <laughs> now, like, now did, did they want to kill you? So I hadn't even, did they want to kill you? you because? Know, made, sorry, go ahead. Did they want to kill you because, uh, and anyway, I don't want to like, use the word kill, but did they, did they want to come after you because of uh, what your reputation was? No, at that point it was more because I hit everybody. I was, I mean, you couldn't touch the puck with and. And hitting was probably being generous. I ran you. And it was, I didn't know any better. You know what I mean? I just thought that's what you did because I had a midget coach that, I mean, that's all we did was, and, and, you know, I mean, you can hit people from behind back then, right? So the guy could go, you would, you would end up getting a double minor and, you know, it, it was dangerous. It was not. You know, I I wouldn't I, I think the rules they put in on hitting from behind are great. You know what I mean? But that was what you got back then for running a guy from the other side of the rink. You got a double minor, right? Right. Nobody'd ever even think of throwing you out for a game for leaving a guy lying there in a heap. You know what I mean? It was kind of just how it was done. And and it's it's changed. You know, you talk he's not that way anymore, but it was rougher. Yeah. So yeah. before before Columbus had the Blue Jackets, it had the chill. Can you talk to us yeah. about Can you talk to us about playing pro hockey at the Ohio State Fairgrounds? And I mean, the, the team had an excellent following, didn't it? The team actually had a great following. Um, you know, I, I always take a little bit of credit for that because I told the guys that if you didn't have a fight in your first three games, uh, you had to fight me in practice. So. <laughs> By the time we had played three games, there was only one guy on the team, I think, that didn't have a fight. And it was just, it was just like Animal House. I mean, and we had, I think we had like, we had like 10 or 11 guys that led the team they came from in penalty minutes. Wow. So, and then uh, Terry Ruskowski was an amazing coach. Terry, he, uh, I loved him. Um, but uh yeah he's he was awesome um but yeah so we um you know i mean it was it was rough and it it was like that you know game in and game out right was, so and the, and the crowd loved it right so yeah oh, I'm, I mean, sure, I'm sure they were especially in that building it's a, uh, it's a phenomenal place to see it and to see a game and be a part of a game i mean i'm sure it was they felt like the fans were right on top of you yeah yeah it was it was great could, could you imagine, Coach, having the state semis and the state finals in the fairgrounds during a non-COVID time, just that place packed? Oh, that would be awesome. Absolutely. Well, transition awesome. transitioning to high school, 
um, at, you, you play for the Chill. You then stay in Columbus, and you now are coaching St. Charles uh, Prep, uh, which is down in in the Columbus region for our listeners that don't know where it's at. Uh, you, you just were placed in the top 10 in the coaches poll, uh, but you guys started your season late, obviously due to COVID uh, protocols and, and such, and you didn't get to uh, play your first game until December 19th. Uh, do you do you think that your team uh, is still trying to get up to speed, or or where, where do you like as a coach? Where would you say you're at compared? You know, I mean, you're starting a month and a half later than you normally would have. Hmm. So, um, great question. Um, we got um, we played uh, four games in five days, and then we um, well, and then we we came we came up north. Um, played a couple of uh, uh, teams up up north. Uh, real real great uh, hosts and and real good time at the tournament. Uh, Walsh uh, Jesuit and then Rocky River, and they always play hard. Both those teams. So we we lost to Walsh and beat Rocky. Both both close games. Um, uh, one goal games, and then uh, and then we had to we had to go on the shelf for a couple weeks, and then we just got off. Um, off of uh, the restrictions last um, Saturday. And then we had our, our first game that evening. And um, I thought we had really good energy, but yeah, we were, I mean, you know, you could, you could tell we had, we'd been off the ice for a couple of weeks. And then, uh, and then the following day we didn't have it. I think, I think our conditioning was hit a little bit. Um, just, just didn't quite have that, that push um that you have when you know you're in tip-top shape and your legs are feeling good uh I, I i don't know that they they're they were feeling great that that second day but at the same time no excuses right there's a lot of teams that have to go out and face those same things so the energy was good overall and i think they made the best of it but to me uh, if i'm being honest with you we weren't as sharp as we could have been and i mean it that you know i don't think too many people would disagree that not having a couple of weeks of practice is as good as having a couple of weeks of practice. So, but the guys did really well considering. So. Yeah, no, know. I, I, I would, I would agree with you coach that it's hard to take, you know, when you get into a rhythm and take, then you have to take some time off. It's hard. I don't want to say hard, but it, it takes time to get back. And, and um, you know, so with you guys going on, uh, as you stated on the shelf, it, was that done because the school put you on the shelf or was that done because of uh, a COVID quarantine can you can you walk us through why yeah, you guys? Yeah, no, we we um we we followed uh, the uh, local health guidelines, and uh, yeah, so it was it was those guidelines that you know working in conjunction with the school that you know what I mean. We just wanted to make sure we're following the rules, and and you know we are following the rules. Um, that's that's what what um, put us in quarantine for two weeks. Yeah. So did you guys practice um, at all before you played on that Saturday night? No. Oh wow. No, that was wow. our that was our first allowable day to play was that Saturday night. Wow. Well, kudos to you and the players, man. That that's that's, that's hard. Yeah, that's, that's hard, hard to come back. So I, you know, kudos to you guys for that. Well, you know what? Uh, kids are kids are doing great considering. I mean, it's it's. Uh, I I don't think it. Uh, you know, people always understand what it must be like for a kid to go through this, you know, you, you see how difficult it is for us as adults and, and all the different struggles that are out there, you know, 
but what's it like as a kid, right? When you're still trying to, you know, trying to figure it out and everything that's going on and, and wrap your, you know, I, I don't think, I don't think anybody's going to be able to wrap their arms around any of this until we're looking at it five years from now. You know what I mean? Looking back and saying, well, you could have done this, this and that, but geez, when you're going through it, nobody really knows. Right. True. Right. Right. So and, 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 the kids. I, I don't know about, about you coach, but I, I mean, I, I mean, the guys on the zoom know uh, that, you know, I've got a daughter who, who, is playing a varsity sport at a high school level during this whole thing. And is, I mean, I'm trying to tell her every day, this is not how it's supposed to be, but you, you and your teammates are doing a hell of a job adjusting. And I would agree with you coach that all of our kids are doing a great job adjusting. Um, and in, in, in an era and a time to where we as coaches and educators are, are supposed to be molding these kids into making wise decisions and understanding how to go through life, but we don't even know how to go through it right now. Yeah, it's, 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 I think we're all kind of figuring it out as we go along and, you know, trying our best to follow, you know, all the best guidelines and, and, you know, and get the kids to do it. But I think hockey is a great outlet, you know, it uh, gets your mind off all that stuff and, and, uh, you know, you can just go out and, and play, not really think about any of that. Right. Absolutely. <clears throat> so you have a, a big showcase this weekend at the Brooklyn Recreation Center up here in Cleveland. Uh, looks yeah, like- we can't wait. It looks like this will be the biggest test so far this season for you guys playing uh, the number four, number one, and number 10 teams basically in a 24-hour window. How, how are you and the group feeling uh, coming into this weekend? You know what? If, if, we, can, if we can come up there and, and you, know, you know, keep it close and, and you know, maybe, maybe be a threat at some point during the game and, and play good hard hockey and – and you know, come away from it healthy. I, I, I'll be happy to, to just represent Columbus well. You know, I mean, if if, if we can if we can manage a victory, I'll be thrilled. You know, but it's tough teams we're going up to play. And and you know, the one thing I like about some of these teams, well, all the teams up in Cleveland is they always come to play. You know, they've got uh, a rich hockey history, and and um, they come to play. I mean, every game you're going to be getting a top game from them. You know, and and that's uh, why we like to. To go up north you know so we it exposes a lot of our weaknesses and, and shows us what we have to work on and and uh, hopefully makes us better you said you, you made mention of representing columbus well how have you seen the columbus area hockey change with the addition of guys staying in town such as yourself and and all all the uh all the uh things that are available to the guys in columbus to to improve their play i mean you know we've heard in past years that you know, Columbus is up and coming and, and we disagree. I mean, we're in Cleveland. We disagree with that wholeheartedly. Columbus isn't up and coming. Columbus is here. How have you, how they, have you they, seen they, Jay? They've arrived. Oh, long time ago. I mean, how have you seen hockey in Columbus change over the course of your eight years with St. Charles? Um, I've, you know, I, I think that, uh, I think like you said, I, I think that the team's, in uh, in this area, have gotten stronger, but I mean, at the end of the day, nobody down here has gotten over the hump. I mean, uh, Jerome came close, unfortunately. New Albany, you know, none of the teams were able to do it last year, but you know, Jerome came pretty close um, as far as getting to the final game. But you know, nobody's really been able to get over that hump as far as winning one. Yeah. So, 
just to compete is is one thing, but just you know, I I don't think we're really going to be over that hump until we until we win one. But there's no question that hockey in general's gotten a lot better in um, Columbus over the years, and it's filtered into high school hockey for sure. Um, I think one of the things you guys probably see as well as I do, but you have years where it's 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 up and down, right? So I mean, I coached at Old Tangy for four years before St. Charles and you know, you just, you see where you have strong birth years coming in and you have strong, you know, weaker birth years leaving. And I mean, you get those right two things going for you and, and, you know, it can really vary from uh, team to team, year to year, you know? Right. Absolutely. So coach, it, so, it, 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 um, it's, got, it's gotten better. It's gotten better though. No question. I agree with that a hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. No, for sure. It, it absolutely has. Uh, it, it looks like despite the late start by some teams, um, in the Capital Hockey Conference, a lot of the games are, are going to be played. Uh, what have you heard from the powers above? You know, we had the commissioners of all the leagues on uh, a couple weeks ago to talk about their, their plan to get through this COVID pandemic and try to make it a fair league. Uh, what have you heard now? Uh, uh, what's going to happen? Is it still intention to play all the league games? Um, so is, to the best of all of our abilities, we're, we're going to be able to um, potentially play all the league games. Um, so I, I think we're kind of right at that threshold right now. So if, if things were to uh, turn out, okay, um, you know, God willing um, for, for the teams that are, 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 you know, restricted right now, we could conceivably get it all done. I think if we have any more, uh, shutdowns though I think we'd probably not be able to and I my hat goes off to all the administrators because it's been a a never-ending uh you know guys um canceling games and and the schedulers and the administrators have been dealing with you know an unbelievable amount of stuff and I, I know I've put a lot of time into this so appreciate that but tough tough we should so, be able to get them all in as of right now though right and are they still going to do uh have they talked about Still doing the uh, the Blue Jackets Cup uh, per usual, or will there yeah. be a change in that format? Um, as far as I know, right now, uh, it, it's it's everything that's good to go uh, the good. way it was. And then, obviously, if you know if there were somebody to miss, then that format might change a little bit. But as far as I know, uh, right now, everything's good. Do, do they still hold that tournament at uh, the Ice House? So they they'll play that at a, a few different ranks. So, okay. the, but okay. the championships and and the semis will all be uh, held at. But I think initially, uh, first couple of rounds they have it. You know, what wherever the ice is. Yep. Right. Well, good. Coach, yeah. well, we hey, we wish you luck this weekend uh, up here in Cleveland. Uh, thank you for coming on and and joining us. But as I said earlier in the in, in the podcast, uh, we got to hear at least one crazy ass story from your time in the OHL when there's no refs on the ice. So, um, I have one that was, that was pretty funny that actually involved, um, a guy. I don't want to uh, say guys, I don't want to say guys names because, um, he, he ain't listed anyhow. So don't worry about it. <laughs> uh, uh, so I, at any rate, uh, a guy that I used to play midget with was playing for Belleville 
and I was skating uh, along behind another guy on my team. So we're going we're going by the the guy that I used to play, and the guy that I'm skating behind says, "Hey, uh, hey, I uh, was with your sister here, and we went out on a date, and you know that's kind of a polite way of saying what he said." And and the guy from the other side just went absolutely ballistic, and I mean it was on like and. <laughs> I was so I was so busy laughing. I mean, I I couldn't believe that the one what the one guy had said. I was just laughing my ass off. Sorry about that. And, uh, <laughs> no, you're good. You're, you're good. good. And meanwhile, there's this brawl going on around me, and I, you know, it was uh, it was just with you know started with two guys that I knew, and I mean they were, and then you know, and then it, it turned into, you know, just a full fledged uh, uh, Donnybrook, you know, and then. And then the refs came from, you know, eventually they came from out of the dressing rooms. But, you know, these things had a way of spilling down the halls. And, I mean, it was, uh, yeah. And that's before the game has even started, right? So, right. <laughs> did, did you ever have an altercation where maybe you and, and another guy got tossed and uh, maybe you met in the hallway and finished the deal? I uh, No. No, I never, um, you know, um, no, no. It was, okay. you know, it was. When it was off ice, it was you know when whatever happened out there was one thing, but you know you didn't. Uh, it, you know I, I would meet guys and talk to them afterwards occasionally, and you know I had one guy call me over and I thought he was gonna, but no, he just wanted to talk to me. It was it was uh, you know after the game was over, it was a little bit different than before. You know, nice code. Um, but you had um, I mean. It, it was just not the same. You know, there was a lot like less talking and guys slapping each other's backs. And even if you were friends with the guy, you know, you were expected to, you know, you know, to get after it. Didn't matter who people were, you know, it was uh, right. like, you know, you played hard and, and it was a little bit meaner. Right. So right. not quite as much camaraderie. Like, I mean, when I played in midget, you know, you couldn't even, you know, ever talk to a guy my coach would my coach would you know my midget coach was an unbelievable coach this guy by the name of mike Wright, and then my other junior coach before brian kilray was amazing and his name was uh joe mcdonnell he's a he's a scout now i think he's still with the Dallas stars but yeah he was he was a heck of a junior coach before he became a scout a lot not a lot of people know joe because he had a a short coaching career. Right. Well, Rob, uh, as, as we uh, started the show off today and, and um, I know you've been involved in this coaching for a long time, as well as, as we have, um, you know, we lost a a fellow coach this past weekend and, you know, we talked about Jamie on the, on the top of the show and, and, you know, I just want, you know, I want to speak for you, Rob, but I want to speak on behalf of all of us uh, that we, you know, we definitely wish, uh, Jamie's family, uh, the best wishes. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm yeah. sure you guys played against BG and, and got to play and, and coach against Jamie. And, and I, I will say this, and I, and I hope you can share these words with me that, uh, you know, Jamie was one of those guys that you wanted to coach against. Cause he was, he was a good guy that you could talk to before, during and after the game. And, and, um, that's what it's all about. So. Absolutely. And I, and I, I didn't know him real well, but I've heard nothing but really, really good, good things about him. And that's uh, 
Yeah, that's a terrible loss. I, I, Absolutely. Yeah. So, so well, Coach, thanks again for uh, joining us. Uh, and, again, we will keep on tabs. Uh, and, you know, again, like we said, Columbus hockey is here. Uh, it, it's, it has arrived. Uh, we're, we're not waiting for it to. So, best of luck the rest of the way. Uh, we hope to talk and to you And you too, soon. guys. And you Thank too. You. Hopefully we can see each other this weekend. Absolutely. 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 We'll talk this weekend. All right. Thanks, Coach. All right. This episode of the Ohio Hockey Digest On Air podcast is brought to you by Team Ohio. With reasonable fees, transparency, and athlete development that has prepped players for teams at all levels. Team Ohio is here to coach players for success both on and off the ice. Go to teamohio.com to learn more. We're going to end today's podcast with week 18's interview of the late Jamie Ruffner and his senior defenseman, Dylan Cox. It's hard for us to have to understand what is going on in today's world, but what we do understand is great people like Jamie Ruffner do the right thing, and you can hear that in his voice, and you can hear that in Dylan Cox's voice as well. Jamie, thank you for all that you've done for your kids, for your teammates, for your coaching staff, and the rest of hockey. Please enjoy the interview we did with Jamie Ruffner in Week 18. After a year away, our next guests are in charge of returning the program to greatness. Bowling Green High School Hockey Team is a winner of six state championships and numerous Final Four appearances. With a year under his belt, Bowling Green Bobcat alum Jamie Ruffner is in charge of continuing the tradition. Please welcome on air Senior Captain Dylan Cox and Head Coach of the Bowling Green Bobcats, Jamie Ruffner. Welcome, gentlemen. Hey, guys. Hey. How are you guys today? Doing wonderful today. Let's start off. Let's start off, Coach. Tell us a little bit about your coming up in hockey and what the Bowling Green Bobcats hockey organization means to you. Yeah, well, and I played most of my uh, my amateur years uh, in Bowling Green. There was a couple of years I left and played in Toledo, but uh, for the most part, I played in Bowling Green, and so I grew up in this organization. And at that time, it was you know it was Bowling Green Falcon hockey, and so that's what got most of me and my friends involved in hockey. And as we grew up, you know, it became uh, more apparent to us that maybe we weren't going to play for the Falcons. We played for the Bobcats. And so, you know, your love for the Bobcat program came very early. Uh, so I grew up playing uh, through the program. Um, when I was, I did not play my, my freshman and sophomore year. I actually went to Chatham, Ontario when I was 15 years old and tried out for the junior Maroons. Decided uh, I didn't make that team and decided that I, I'd come back and play high school with my buddies at that point. I had some friends that were playing. And so we kind of all, made a pact to come back and play high school hockey. And so, you know, the love for Bobcat hockey started early. Uh, we got to go on Sunday afternoons and see those guys play, and we looked up to them. It was something that we – it was a, an attainable goal that we had. Um, and so after I came back from college, uh, I played a couple of years of Division Three uh, hockey on East, and I came back, and it was just a natural fit to start coaching. Um, and so that's kind of where it all started for me. Coach, what years uh, did you play at Bowling Green? I played uh, 87 through 89. So I graduated in 89. And at that time, we were playing teams, you know, uh, Padua and Bowling Green were the two big teams uh, at, at that time. So, um, you know, I remember playing Holzinger and, uh, you know, other guys that kind of grew up through that Padua. And, and actually, you know, both of our programs have actually kind of mirrored each other. 
you know, the last couple of years they were down a bit. They didn't go away for a year like we did, but uh, they were down a little bit. They're very young, and I think they're kind of an upcoming team in that area too. So, uh, yeah, so I graduated in 89. That was back in the the, the good old days of hockey. Yeah, yeah. Back in the old clutch and grab days. Yeah, back when you could still do that. It was funny because I was listening to the podcast with uh, Varga, and he and I almost played together on Team Toledo, and that was the same year that I decided to come back and play for the Bobcats. But I remember him talking about how, you know, you just needed to show up to training camp, right? It wasn't like it is now, even for our high school levels. I mean, we do more training at the high school level than, you know, most semi-pros or pros used to do back in the day. Uh, but it was funny. So, um, you know, it goes back a long way, but all, all good times in the, in the mid to late 80s. So, Coach, you, you, when you started your coaching, you went through the youth levels for many years. And when the coaching position became available at Bowling Green and you were selected, what was the first thing that went through your head? Um, well, listen, I will say this much. I had gotten out of coaching for a couple of years. So I was actually contacted uh, whether I had interest or not in, in coaching the team. Um, I don't think they found what they were looking for in the original first, um, you know, resumes that were sent in. And so, as the process went on, uh, I, I did get the phone call, and I will tell you this much. Um, I wanted this job, uh, I'm going to say probably 15 or 18 years. Uh, this is nothing new. I've coached for a long time. And, you know, for me, playing in the program and then coaching in the program, you, you, you wanted to become part of it at some point. Well, we had a Hall of Famer and Dan DeWitt here for 27 years, and he was pretty much going to run the, the helm as he saw fit. But, um, you know, bottom line is, uh, when I when I got the call, I thought about it for about five seconds. I told my wife actually that I I called her first, but I had already answered that I would take the, you know that I was interested in the job anyhow. So young Dylan, young Dylan, her. pay attention to this, young Dylan. <laughs> uh, then I called her and explained it, and she listen. She's been my biggest supporter, so you know it wasn't like she was going to say no. Um, it was hey, I have this opportunity, so. Uh, but you know, once the process played out and I was actually offered the position, uh, it was one of those things. I can't say that it was a dream come true because, you know, when you don't dream of where you want to end up coaching, you know, I, I never had, I wanted to coach, I wanted to be in this position. And so when I got it, you know, my dad had just passed a couple of years ago and he was still involved in the program ever since I had graduated. So, you know, for 30 years, he was still involved in this program. So I thought of him instantly and knew how proud he would be if he was able to be here and actually see me coach this team. So, you know, that's kind of been the driving force. That's what I thought of instantly. Uh, but it's been kind of a, a process that, that, you know, I think all of us, we, we get the places and we're not always sure how we got there and we didn't have the plan to get there, but it just, things do tend to work out. That's yeah. an inspirational story. And that's, you know, you know, well I guess, said. yeah, very well said. So Dylan, uh, for our, our listeners that, that don't know or are just learning about Bowling Green Hockey, Bowling Green Hockey has a tremendous tradition. We're going to talk about some of the successes uh, that Bowling Green uh, Bobcat Hockey had. And, and those that are around uh, the hockey world know uh, that tradition. So we were all kind of a little shocked when we heard that the, the team was going to go away for a year. So you come in as a freshman, Dylan. What an honor to play uh, your first year with the Bobcats. Mm -hmm. And and then you find out uh, that the Bobcats are, are going to go away for your sophomore year. You know, can you just kind of, what were your thoughts during that? 
uh, I didn't really believe it, honestly. Like, I came in, I thought, I mean, I didn't think I was going to make varsity, and I did. And I just thought I was going to be able to continue my career all through high school without any interruptions. And then to not have the team my sophomore year was just devastating. And it was just hard to know where to go from there, whether or not to keep going or just stop playing. And took a year off just to see what it was like. And it was just horrible. It was devastating, honestly. So you t- you say you took your sophomore season off? Yeah. Okay. So then what did it mean to you when you found out the team would be would begin again under Coach Ruffner to start your junior year so you could ride out junior, senior year playing for the Bobcats? Uh, it meant everything. It was just an amazing feeling to know that I was going to be able to play for the high school again. And to know that it was Coach Ruffner was just awesome because I grew up around him. My brother played for him for a few years, so I know he was a great coach. Known him since I was real little, and it was just amazing. And to know that I'd be able to keep playing hockey was a great feeling because that, that year off was horrible for me. Just wanted to be back out there. Yeah, yeah, of course. So, Coach, you, you take the reins of a program that you grew up in. Um, you started with the young core freshman sophomores last year. Um, uh, and I, I'm, I do have to say this as a, uh, someone who's very entrenched in high school hockey. The transition that, that you and your team made from Thanksgiving to the district tournament, or I'm sorry, ter- the state tournament, was astronomical. It was unbelievable uh, what you as a coaching staff and what your guys did in that short period of time. I just want to commend you on that before I move on with the next well, question. I mean, thank you very much. And I, I will say this, uh, we played you at Thanksgiving. So, so you know uh, where we were, it was, uh, it was, it was tough. It took us four months to figure out how to, how to play at this level. Even the kids like Dylan who had played high school hockey, they were freshmen when they played. So, you know, they had one year or at most maybe two years of experience and then you go away for a year. It's not like you just pick this up right away. Yeah, so, right. Uh, you know, it, it took us a long time. And, and we listen. We we had nineteen or twenty kids come out for tryouts. So we took almost what we had. And you know, listen. It's the kids who made this happen. They worked hard. They persevered, and they believed that we could be better than what we were when we started. And I think the big thing about hockey and maybe any sport is. You know, it's not always, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. And I will say this, leading into this summer, we still feel the effects of beating Finley. Now, it was it was one or two games, but we, you know, and then we took St. Francis deep. Um, but you can still feel those ripple effects for the kids coming back, which is, you know, 15 or 16 of our kids are returners. So yeah. it's, it's been nice. Thank you. I, yeah, yeah. I, we do, we do appreciate that. No, no. And it's, it was, it was quite impressive. And I do want to mention that. And again, I just, be, again, before I move on with this question, uh, it's amazing when uh, high school kids get, they get to get a little sniff of success, how that can just go with them. They, like you said, the ripple effect. So I, I even if it's just one game, uh, that's well, enough to get them going. Well, um, I mean, it, it was a culmination of the month of February that it really took a turn. So it wasn't just the culmination, I guess, was that one game beating Finley and then, you know, really having a, a chance against St. Francis all the way up until the, you know, six minute mark of the, of the third period. Uh, but yeah, from that, our, our kids, those, two, those two or three games that we had in States right there, that, I mean, that was uh, invaluable for our kids and our, our program, especially just back. Right, right. So what were your thoughts? Uh, you know, uh, Jason and I had the opportunity of building a hockey program 
18 years ago uh, at a different school than we're currently at now from nothing. Um, what were your thoughts on building the program again uh, and, and it, to get it to where it needed to be sustained? Well, I mean, for, for us, it was trying to make um, some inroads with our youth hockey program, which they have done a pretty good job. You know, before we would take in kids, and this is no offense to any other organization or team, but, you know, Perrysburg kids were close, Anthony Wayne were close, and so those kids would come to Bowling Green and play youth hockey. Well, they would play up and through the Bantams, and then they would go to their high school team, uh, which, which again, is fine. However, uh, our youth hockey enacted a rule a couple of years ago that you had to have 80% Bowling Green kids. Listen, we want to we teach hockey, yes, to everyone. However, we're Bowling Green youth hockey, so our fo focus has to be on the end of the line for Bowling Green excuse me, Bowling Green Youth Hockey, and that is Bowling Green High School Hockey. So we have to take care of our own. So that, that you know, that was one thing that we were able to um, kind of get under wraps. Um, you know, with the, with the kids in the organization and the program of what it's been, we don't want to rest on, you know, the past histories or anything else. This is all new. Um, but it, it's recycling those kids, making them aware that, you know, Bowling Green is a a destination it can be a destination again um, it's working hard it's showing the kids at the lower levels that you know you, you do your best you come out you work really hard you'll have a chance and I, and I think our kids our young kids showed that this year and I think that will again it will continue to um, to evolve as time goes on it you know starting a program it wasn't from scratch I will say this it helped that our name was Bowling Green uh, but I even with that, I had a hard time trying to get a full schedule last year. You know, people, teams get into tournaments, teams get into, you know, home and away series, and it makes it difficult uh, for, you know, for somebody to kind of crack that. So the Bowling Green name helped. But again, you know, this is all new. Um, well, our tradition and our, our history says that we were something at one day um, or at some point in the past. We're not that anymore. So we have to embrace a new uh, way of doing things. Um, but I think we all know that there, there's a lot of different ways to get to the top. Um, hard work, you know, having the right skill level, uh, the teachings at the lower levels. I will say I wasn't a big fan of the ADMI when USA Hockey came out with it, but for, for parents that are coaches that don't know hockey, it's been a pretty good tool for kids to learn some of those fundamentals at the lower levels without the parent actually having played the game or understanding how to coach. Right. It. So, right. you know, those things, those things, those lower level things go a long way. Absolutely. Well, Dylan, it, it had to feel really, really good playing again for your school. Even though there were ups and downs of the season, what was it like to put that Bobcat Jersey back on in front of a home crowd? Uh, honestly, there's not really another feeling like it, like, you can go and put on a jersey for any other team that you want to play for, but playing for your own school and representing something that's big in your life and playing in front of all kinds of people, your friends, family, and everyone, it's just a great feeling to have, and it's a great opportunity to have, especially at a young age like this. What, and I might not get that opportunity again later what, on. So, What did it feel like the first home game, and you go out there for warm-up, I wish you could go with no helmet, get the old hair skate going so the, the girls could check you out. You know, Co right. Coach Ruffer and I wish the same thing too, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, yeah. I, I've been there. You both do go out with no helmets on for, for warm-up skate, <laughs> and the crowd goes bananas for both of you. Uh, I've yeah, seen right. it. Hey, even, though, even though, Coach, I, I know you wear your hat a lot of the time, but regardless of it, it's a beautiful head. 
<laughs> I couldn't finish that. Yeah, well, it's a beautiful head. I mean, I mean, I have embraced it for so long, but there's something like when I get mad, my whole face and head turns red, and I really don't want no. fans seeing the emotion in my head. Okay, so that's wherein lies the the hat thing. Yeah. Oh, oh, okay. So, hey, let's, so let's get so, back to let's get back so to Dylan's on, answer. On, this is hold on, Dylan. I'll be right with you. So, what you're telling me is when you guys get mad, you bald you bald headed guys get mad. It's natural that the entire head turns like a shade of burgundy. Just I mean, I'm, I'm, actually, Coach, I'm asking for a friend. Go ahead. My Irish uh, <laughs> turning my camera off. <laughs> my Irish uh, background says yes. My whole head okay. turns red, not just my face. Now okay. I don't know that for for certain, but I'm going to say that it most likely does. Yes. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm. Gonna, I second that. I second I can, that for somebody I know. I, Anyways, I can confirm. Go back. To, go back to <laughs> Dylan. I Dylan. I apologize. What was it like the first time you walk out in, in for a warm up first home game? What like outside of everything you just said? Can you can you even put into words what the emotion felt like? You know, you're there for a year. You go away for a year. You come back. You got the jersey on. Your 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 uh, schoolmates are there cheering for you. Your families and friends are there. What is going through your head? Like, let's come on, boys. Let's have a good show. What yeah. else? It's like, it's almost like nothing you've ever felt before. It's just so emotional and trying to take in everything that's going on around you. It's almost hard to focus on the fact that you're about to go play a game. Like, just there's so much to take in and it's just amazing. You feel everything. Every, I, don't, I don't even know how to explain it, honestly. Well, that's I awesome. can't, I could only imagine because. You know, Jay and I grew up, and we grew up, we played uh, against Bowling Green. So we know the atmosphere of a Bowling Green high school uh, hockey game in that building. And when you guys announced you're coming back and we looked up your first home game, we contemplated coming up just to watch the – just to see the atmosphere okay. because we know what it's like. So to be a, a, a player in that atmosphere had to be so special for you. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Coach, after all the years of success under Coach Dan DeWitt and Eddie Powers – uh, what did you learn from those guys that took you to the that that you could take to current players today? Uh, you know, I think the, the the biggest thing was just patience. You know, you, you could see. So I coached Bantams for 15 years that mirrored their 27 years at the high school level. So you know, my kids were a year removed, and sometimes I lost Bantam kids to the high school team. So it was, I think, watching them uh, take freshmen and be patient with them, give them a year to kind of you know, get under, listen, it's a huge jump. I mean, you look at, at, at Bantam to high school or high school to junior or junior to college, you know, those are huge steps. They're not small steps. People don't always look at them and say it's a huge step, but I think you have to have to, you have to have patience with your younger kids. And so I think, uh, from, from Dan for certain, uh, having the patience to allow these kids to, kind of find their own game, their own track into becoming a, you know, a, not even a dominant part, but just a, a part of the program. You know, listen, we all need role players. So it's, it, maybe you're not a scorer, you're a hitter, or you're a third line, fourth line guy. You know, he always had patience with his guys. And I thought that was the best thing. The other thing I really liked that what Dan did all those years is for the most part, he played four lines. I mean, he had the talent to roll four lines. And when you can roll four lines, as you guys know, uh, you can find, you know, if you have talent in your top two lines, you can find some success because, you know, last year with our team, we had three lines if we were lucky. If we had injuries or something like that, we might end up with, uh, you know, 
eight forwards or nine forwards. You know, it was, it was hard sometimes to, to not have that depth. So I would say those two things, the patience that Dan showed to his players, all those, you know, for all those years, especially the young guys coming into it, uh, you know, that that's a big deal. And so I, again, um, you know, my Irish background doesn't allow me to have a lot of patience. Uh, and you can, you can talk to Dylan about it. Uh, there were, there were, there were times where my patience was very, very thin, but uh, you know, I think again, much like the players, the coaches found kind of their niche in this whole season last year. And it allowed us to learn as well. And I, you know, as you guys know, too, both of you, uh, every day we learn as coaches, and if we're not, then you know we're kind of going backwards. It's no, it's no, just stop. It's either forward or backward. Yeah. That's it. Uh, and so the coaches had to find, you know, how we needed to coach these kids. I've coached midget level kids, so I've coached up to eighteen year old kids before. But when it's been a little bit of time, and we all know that over the years that the kids, their attitudes and behaviors change, we have to deal with all that. So, you know. To have more patience, I think, I think is a, a virtue. It's a big deal, and that's probably one of the biggest things that Dan and that I learned from the uh, the pastors. So, Coach, you're, you're you definitely had a, a wonderful push through the state tournament. I mean, I know making the the adjustments that you guys made to to not just compete but to succeed throughout the state tournament was amazing to read about, and to hear about, and to learn about. And the fact that Bowling Green was back and playing in that competitive brand of hockey that had to make you feel good and had to make you proud of the direction you were helping guide the boys in. What did you tell the boys on day one that ultimately showed them as it went on the buy-in to the success you, you saw at the end? Well, I mean, I think probably one of the first things I said is nobody owes us anything. They are going to want to stomp us because of our name. I mean, again, say what you will, but there's, there's a history here. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of people, especially in the, the Sylvania Toledo area that didn't like playing us back in the eighties and nineties because it was a dominant program at the time. Um, so I think I said those things, um, you know, and, and I don't want anybody to give us anything. I want, you know, we got to play, you got uh, St. Ed's in the, at the cold Turkey. We played Gilmore. We played Liberty. We played these teams right off the bat. We, in you know, retrospect, we probably shouldn't have. We should have probably eased into it a little bit. But I didn't take this job to coach, uh, you know, a glorified JV team or anything like that. I, I took this job to try to get back to where we were. Will that happen in a year? No, it won't. But it's going to happen because we believe that it will. Our program is stronger at the youth levels. Our, our you know, our base is very wide now at the mini might and might level, which is what you have to have in order to get to the Bantam level and still have a good group of kids to choose from. Um, so, you know, that, that's, those, that's the driving force here. And I think it was something to the effect of nobody owes us anything. Whatever we get this year is going to be, be well-earned and well-deserved. And again, it did take us four months to kind of get, now we had games. We, we had some games along the way that we were in it, and we played really hard. I remember, you know, uh, in the first week or two, Northview of the league, anyhow, Northview beat us pretty handily. They may have beat us by 10 goals. I don't remember. Uh, but then we had them back at the middle of December, I want to say, at home, and it was a 3-2 game Northview going into the third period. You know, and so we, we, had, we had baby steps 
unfortunately, because we were so young, what would happen is we would take two steps forward one game, and the next day or the next game, we would take three or four, five steps backwards, you know, and it was just that youth of they, they thought they had it figured out in one game, and they came back and they found out they didn't. Uh, the other thing that we, you know, and, and every coach can attest to this, is we were not on ice conditioned, ready to go by the end of November. Um, and so that became a coaching issue. It was, we should have had these guys in better conditions once we got to the season. But, you know, th- that, that's it. I mean, for the most part. Dylan's rolling his eyes right now going, oh, God, oh. I, know, I know what's coming now. <laughs> yeah, I, agree. Well, I, I agree with everything he's saying right now. <laughs> um, so, Dylan, heading into your senior season, you know, I, I feel, you know, I, I work in a school, and, and I, I obviously coach, and I feel horrible for all of our athletes and students, not just athletes, but especially our seniors going into this time of uncertainty right now. And, and I can only imagine the, the emotion that's going through your head and the rest of your senior classmates. But what – let's take that away. You know, yeah. what are you looking for for most to this season with hopes that we have a normal season? Well, um, last year we we had a rough time winning games last year, and that's not – that's not always the main thing, but this year I really hope we can be super competitive, win more games. Like we didn't win a game in the in the league last year until playoffs, and this year I'm hoping we can make a statement and win a few. Let them know we're there before we get to the end of the season. Well, based on the way the season went last year, regardless of the wins and losses, you know, and, and being uh, on the outside looking in and, and following along over the course of the year, what you guys were able to do, I'm going to say this. It was amazing. It was fantastic. And I'm going to tell you this. I'm not surprised. Right. Right. In in understanding coach in, in having conversations with them. And and to be honest, coach, it was a walk across the ice and you and I spoke uh, walking off the ice after a game. Mm -hmm. And I looked at uh, Sully and I said, (laughs) it's not going to take long. It's not going to take long. Because yeah. you guys, you guys are, are are definitely doing right things from top to bottom, uh, not only in your organization but in throughout the youth, and it's going to pay off. And and my hope is that we have a season um, for you guys, for the seniors, for all the players involved. And it, it's just you guys are going to do good things, man. You just just keep like coaches keep working your tail off and and trust and believe in what they're showing you. It's it's going to happen. Yeah, it it was amazing the amount of progress we made from November to February, March last year, or last year, and I just hope we can make something like that happen again where we make that much progress within the team that we can show everyone. Well, Dylan, it's, it's got to be a positive influence having a nationally ranked Division One team in the same building as you guys. Yeah. How, how often do you guys watch the Falcons play? Or, 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 or practice. Yeah, practice mainly. Whenever, whenever we don't have games out of town that weekend, we're at the games. We're watching. We're always there. And then – if they're practicing before us, we're always watching. There's never a time we're not missing an opportunity to watch the Falcons play. What's what, the go ahead, on, Jay? What, what's the biggest thing you take away from watching the collegiate division one guys play? Collegiate hockey players. It doesn't matter division. What's the biggest thing you've noticed watching them either practice or and or play? Doesn't matter who your teammates are. It, it's your teammates are your teammates. That's who you get. That's who you're stuck with, and you got to make the best out of it. My brother, my brother used to work for the Falcons, and uh, I heard all the stuff that went on with their teammates, and 
didn't matter what was going on. They always had to figure it out, get through it. So that's a big thing for me. And if I can interject there, if you don't mind, uh, the, the bad thing about Falcon practices is they're like 8.30 to 11 in the morning. Yeah. So ba- ba- back in the day, I would miss the school bus when I was in elementary school. So I could walk over because their practices were like 2.30 to 5. So it was perfect. My mom worked on campus. She would pick me up, you know, miss the school bus type thing. Uh, but, but watching their practices, I would say this. The amount of work they put in to practice. Like these kids, I mean, our kids, and, and we all know that our kids work hard, right? But I think watching them in practice, it takes it to a whole new level of how hard you have. And that that's practice. So imagine what they're doing, what they're bringing for games. And so I think that's, at least for me, an old hockey player trying to teach new hockey players, you know, what, what's one thing that you can control? It's how hard you work, how much work you put into it. Uh, and I, I think that, you know, work doesn't understand talent, right? It doesn't. You, you go out and you work your tail off. Uh, good things are going to happen. You might find that you have talent for it as well, but you can always go work hard. So and I think that's the one thing that watching the Falcons, those guys, or any, you know, we get to see a lot of pregame skates and things like that. You know, the day, like on Thursdays when other teams come in, and you see them working so hard. And it's just one of those things that I, I, it blows my mind that they're working that hard at practice. Imagine how they're going in a game. And so you just try to convey that message to the, the kids you're coaching in hopes that they might watch it and see that work, work ethic and work level and understand that's what it takes for that kind of success. Now, well, Coach, with, with, with uh, staying on that same uh, topic, do you have an opportunity to talk with the current Falcon coaches or maybe f- previous coaches like Coach Bergeron uh, and, and, you know, with your Bobcat hockey program or just yourself? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I, I guess I'd like to have a better relationship, but those guys are super busy. That's their full-time job. So, you know, sitting down with the high school coaches always is not going to happen. But I will say that uh, Coach Bergeron and I had had conversations in the past. But uh, actually, uh, Coach Balkovic, the assistant coach uh, right now, he and I have had some pretty good conversations. And, you know, it, it's we've all been involved in hockey for a long, long time. But it's amazing just talking to other people. Uh, what you can learn about the game and maybe you know you've done it this way for 20 years and they suggest you know they've done it this way and you think about it and you realize that well maybe that's a better way to do it I mean we all are trying to get better at what we do so yeah as much as I can I you know I have conversations with those guys uh, in season obviously it's really hard because our schedules sure. just don't match up but uh, we do have a chance of having uh, a Falcon um coach's son this year I don't know whether they're going to end up playing or not uh, but if we do that would certainly lend to even more conversations uh, you know a, a, about hockey and, and again anything that we can learn to, to teach our kids uh, the better off we are so I, I've used those people you know those coaches in the past as a resource uh, because I think it's a good resource to have. So coach BG qualified for 13 to 14 state tournaments from 91 to 2004 winning four state titles. Now you are responsible to guide the program through a rebuilding phase of sorts. How do you balance the, the, the history with the short-term goals, which may be a little more abstract than just wins and losses? Well, I mean, listen, we are the first ones to say this is our history. Right? This, but this isn't what we are today, Okay. We can, we can look up at the banner and say 1998 really was the last time we won one. 
um, to be honest with you. Um, I, we're realists. We get it. We want this team to be successful. But coming back after not having a season um, and going from where we started on day one to where we ended, um, you know, it, it was phenomenal. Not, not, not at all what the coaches did, what the kids did, and what they bought into in that, you know, the lead that we have them on is, is the right direction. We just got to keep pushing in that same direction. The kids are starting to buy into it. I think they see um, that with hard work and, and, and just pushing forward that we're going to get there. We have a lot of kids coming from, you know, the lower levels too. But our history is not something we want to ever forget, but it's certainly not anything that we can say we're going to win because we're Bowling Green. You know, and, and I will say this, this is something that I've, I've taken most of my coaching career, and that is it's not how you – you know, it's not whether you win or lose. It's how you win. It's how you lose. I've, I've gone into locker rooms. We lost, you know, two to one. It was a great game. And I've congratulated the kids and said, you know, you guys worked really hard. You deserve the better outcome. And we've all had games where we won, where we probably shouldn't have. And we look terrible doing it. So, you know, it, for me, it's never, of course, we all want to win. We all want to find success. But that's not what this is about. Success will come. You know, I've told these kids, you do, you take care of the little things and all the big stuff will take, will come along with that little stuff. And the little stuff is hard work, not cheating yourself, not cheating your teammates, not cheating your, your, you know, your program, let's say, or not cheating the history of our program. Come every day to be the best player and the best person you can be. And let's, you know, let's figure this out. So to go back on the history of it, we don't ever want to forget that, but it's not something that we can hang our hats on today and just try to live off of. We're not. When when we become successful again, it will be a whole new era. It'll be 20 years past or 23 or 24 years past the last time we were successful of winning a state championship. So not something we want to forget, something we always got to look up for and and know that this program can do it. Uh, but we have to forge our own new way forward. Right. Uh, one, one more for you, Coach, and I want to get to uh, something with Dylan real quick. But, you know, as you look back on this year, the first year back, and your first year taking the helm, was there things that you might have changed that you see now? Uh, and what are you looking forward to moving ahead? Oh my gosh. Uh, everything? Uh, not really, but yes. I mean, you know, I feel, listen, I feel like a total buffoon as a four, as a, as a, uh, a colleague of yours in this high school hockey asking you that question, but I have to take myself out of that. <laughs> no. Listen, I get it. Uh, yeah. I mean, we learned so much, um, you know, from dealing with, um, I mean, and you guys know, again, you're putting 20 personalities together. Um, they're mental and, and physical makeup is completely, you know, it's it's everywhere. Let's say, um, and so, yeah, I think I I learned how to better communicate with each individual player. Um, I think that we also learned that by having film on Saturday mornings and getting together as a group, not where we're skating, not where we're working out or conditioning, we just get together. We have breakfast. We watch film. We break those things down. You know, that's something we learned late in the season. And I think that it was part of our success later in the, in the year was that we, we got to watch ourselves and, and not, not just what we did wrong, but what we did right too. And so I think those are the things I learned that, you know, we, we cannot 
um, the, I guess the, probably the, the biggest thing was the communication with the players, sitting down and, and, and having individual meetings with people. You know, because we were young, we didn't have any captains last year. This year we're going to have captains. So that's something that's going to be completely different moving forward is that we're actually going to. So if, if we didn't teach the players about our program last year, the coaches, that is, the players didn't never learn from each other because besides Dylan and two other players, there was nobody else that was there in the program. So, so, so with that being said, coach, I, and I do have to say this with that being said, we do give all of our credit to, to our kids and you know that as well. I, yeah. I've heard it from you and I, I agree with you, but in this situation as well, you guys, you and your coaching staff had to lay that concrete down for them to learn. So I will say this. Yeah. I'll, I'll give, 95% of the credit to the kids, but everyone also ought to give you and your coaching staff a lot of credit too for putting that solid uh, uh, concrete down for them to learn. Then what they did with it was on yeah. them. So I just want to make, I just want to get that out. Well, and I, and I appreciate it. And Dylan can attest to this. Dylan and I had a, a numerous run in or two on the bench, but we <laughs> learned from each other, I think. And I, I think Dylan, those are called conversations. Be, coach. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> uh, but I think Dylan can attest to this too, that we both learn from each other. I mean, and again, I'm not, I'm not past, I'm, you know, almost 50, but I'm not past the point of saying an 18 year old taught me something. I mean, because if we are, then we're too set in our ways to learn, to move on. Right. And so I would never, ever say that. I, I, I learned stuff. I will say I learned more about the game of hockey coaching it than I ever did from a coach playing it. Right. And so, oh, yeah. you know, I'm now, I want to take what I'm learned and give it to these players um, because I'd never had that growing up as a coach. We always used to have, you know, we'd maybe have a coach for two years and sometimes it was a Falcon ex Falcon and things like that. So we never had that consistency. Um, and so I'm learning, they're learning, but yeah, moving forward. I mean, I, I think that if you can have a good working relationship with your student athletes, um, there is a respect that goes back both ways. Um, you know, you guys, it's amazing what you can do if you, if you set your mind to a goal and you work hard, it can be obtainable, but it can't be with just the kids or just the coaches. It has to be a conjoint effort to make things better. And I will say this much, the kids, uh, maybe to a man, they tell you they didn't buy in, but they bought in to a certain extent, or we wouldn't have ended up the way we were. And I, I wouldn't have the feeling I have, uh, throughout this whole summer and off season moving into the fall. Uh, if we have a season, I am extremely excited for this group to see, because I want this group to look back, not just this past year. I want them to look back two years when they look back and say, look what we've accomplished. Because one year is not enough. You have to take the whole ball of wax. And, and our kids are, are good like that. And you guys know coaching high school kids, you know, we have good, smart, intelligent kids. I just want to get back to that, that video thing real quick. And then Dylan, I want to talk to you one last question before we uh, end it. The Tito Walleye uh, head coach, Dan Watson was on our uh, podcast uh, a month ago or whatever it was. And when you said you started to watch film on Saturday mornings and, you know, it's great to get the guys together uh, away from the, the rink, have some breakfast, watch some films. They would do a thing called, I don't know if you guys listen to this podcast, but they do a thing on Tuesday and, and they would call it truthful Tuesdays and they would show the film and it would be truthful on what people or what players fail to do or what they did right. You know what I mean? And right. uh, we talked a lot in that podcast. And um, uh, to our listeners, if, if you want to know the importance of 
of film in today's game. Um, listen to go back and listen to that because Dan does a really, really good job on explaining it. And it could be done at the highest pro level or the squirt level, right? Doesn't matter. So, so Dylan, moving on, you're, you're, this is going to be, we're going to have a year. I'm going to play positive here for you. So, um, what do you want? If you had the, I mean, what you do now, I have the forum. What do you want the people uh, in the state of Ohio to know uh, about Bowling Green Bobcat hockey coming up this year? I'm going to let you end this interview with, with what you want people to know about Bowling Green Bobcat hockey. Oh, we'll edit that one out. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. Honestly, I want them to know we're here to stay from now on. We're not, we're not going to be gone again. And if for some reason we do, we'll be back again, better than ever. Of course, we're not going to give up no matter how, how stacked the odds are against us. We're always going to fight hard for what we want the outcome to be. And even if it doesn't come out to what we want it to be, we're going to work hard to get there. And our comeback will always just be greater than our setbacks. Cool. Uh, Very well said. Very well said. Like it. Very well said, young man. Any shout-outs to your friends? Just the guys on the team. There you go. There you go. Well, Dylan, thanks again uh, for taking your time coming out and uh, chatting with us. Coach, always nice to see you. Um, thanks for chatting with us again. Uh, we look forward to uh, uh, seeing you guys uh, in a couple months. Again, I'm being optimistic here. Yes. Uh, and and look for, looking forward to continue to follow your great uh, success as a uh, as you worded this a not a new program but a, a, a rebooted program. So um, we look forward to watching that. Thanks for coming on, guys. Appreciate it. Hey, thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Use that evidence. Race it around. Well